here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 106.6 FM in Bloemfontein. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. This part of the program is not suitable for sensitive listeners and for anyone under the age of 18. Note that the views expressed on this show are not that of the station or the presenter. Closet Conversations. A-teamers, we are deep within the closet and uh, we are talking what is your primary source of sexual health information? Where do you get your sexual health information? Perhaps it's from friends. It's uh, from, you know, neighbors. It's from church groups, girl groups, guy groups, scouts, uh, magazines. Where do you get your source of sexual health information? And um, talking to us about this is Dr. Miriam Khan, who's a registered natural medicine doctor with a master's degree focusing on sexual and reproductive health and rights and its intersections with gender and religion. Dr. Khan, a very good evening. Hi, Patricia. Good evening. So on uh, Saturday, the 4th of uh, September, um, it was uh, the World Sexual Health Day, which is a day that started in 2010 by the World Association for Sexual Health. Why is this day so important for people who are sexually active? Right. So, you know, most people, when you think about sexual health, you also think about reproductive health. But if you look at sexual health on its own, I think people look at it in terms of when there's illness, when there's disease, and only consider sexual health when they're not well. And we want people to be able to access information and access sexual health in all aspects of their lives and not just when there isn't, when there is disease. So if you're looking at, you know, just factors like, like we speak about regularly on this show, like for example, consent, and how sexual health affects mental health and how that has an impact on your overall health. So to look at it in terms of, you know, as a holistic approach, so not just one part or reproductive system or one organ of the body, organ system of the body, but looking at it as, you know, part of a network. So in a more holistic approach. And I think that's important because once you realize that your sexual health impacts the rest of your health as well, then you realize how important it is to prioritize sexual health. You know, I think all health is important, but sexual health is one uh, um, aspect of our lives that we generally we generally shy away from because of the taboos and the notions and so on and so forth. And I'll tell you something. My first encounter on sexual health or sexuality was from a magazine. Um, you know, in high school. And looking at the magazine, I mean, we had, I think it was Glamour and uh, Cosmopolitan. I'd read things there. Yeah, and I'd read things there and I'd be shocked. Oh, is this what happens in sex? Oh, And if you're sick, oh, and these are the sort of STIs. And then obviously um, going to school, then we uh, we had life orientation where we had these lessons. But it wasn't really something that I think... There was another older person that said, now it's time for us to talk about, you know, sexual health and how you are feeling. You, it, it's never talked about. So where should we be getting our first point of, um, you know, information when it comes to sexual and reproductive health? 
Okay, so I'm going to go back to the fact that you just mentioned the World Sexual Health Day for the 4th of September. And I want to say that this year's theme was sexual health in a digital world. Um, and I think it's been amplified, especially because of the pandemic, that most people are online. And whilst I was online today, I came across an article that documents the number of cases or new cases of HIV. Um, it, I think it was documented as there are 1,300 new cases of HIV in adolescent girls every week in South Africa. And in the first quarter of this year, over 35,000 documented pregnancies in an age bracket of 15 to 19 year old. So that's that teenage bracket. And then you mentioned the fact that there is aloe. And I know because my daughter does aloe, she's already 11, so I know the detail that is put into that subject. And you wonder, where are the kids doing aloe? Um, you know, so are they getting that information? Where are they getting their information? Are they skipping that subject? Are they not giving priority to that subject? What kind of conversations are happening at home? So, you know, we, ideally we'd like the parent or the primary caregiver to be the first person that speaks these kind of topics with their children because they would be most suitable to, in terms of, they know the emotional readiness of the child, they know whether the child what what message the child is ready to receive, and so they would know best what to teach the child when. But as we know, that's not always the case. So the child may be exposed, like you and I, via a magazine, via an educational article, or it could be through a porn magazine, or it could be online through a porn site via friends, and depending where the child gets the information from and what that information is, and the message that's been passed on to that child, that will impact, you know, the way that child then, the way they process that information and what they do with it. But the first place for information for a child should be from our home. The home so the primary I health prefer, caregivers. That's yeah. what I think. But at what age? I know this question is always asked, but at what age do we then speak sexual health? So sexual health, you know, is everything from teaching your children their body parts, the correct names for their body parts, uh, which areas can and cannot be exposed in public, when is it suitable to uh, or not, uh, who can touch a certain part of your body, who cannot or who should not touch a certain part of your body, you know, parts of your body that are private. So they start at a little age. As soon as a, a little kid um, is able to identify body parts, um, has ideas of, you know, putting on clothes, taking off clothes, which is a suitable place to take off and put on clothes, who can be with them present in the bathroom when they're taking a bath or using the toilet, that kind of thing. So it starts at a basic age, a little age, like your toddler. And then you build from there. A-teamers, we are talking to Dr. Miriam Khan, and uh, since it ha- it was World Health, um, World Sexual Health Day last week, Saturday, we are talking, what is your primary source of sexual health information, and uh, has it helped you 
Are you still relying on friends or have you decided to be going to healthcare professionals, especially for the men? Let us know. I'm very interested to know. And ladies, do you still uh, have those kitchen parties where you talk all things about sex and none of you are healthcare professionals and you give each other remedies that you are unsightly? Please share those what with us. What are these kitchen parties? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I've never attended one, but I've heard <laughs> ladies saying we're having kitchen parties. So you and I, oh. Dr. Khan, need an invitation so we know exactly what they do and talk about. But I presume if it's only just ladies, sex will come up. Interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. I haven't been to one of those. I've never been invited either. I'm not part of the cool gang. But ATMs, <laughs> if you are, call in on 011-714-2006 or WhatsApp 0614-104107. SMSs go to 41391. As we opened up, Dr. Khan, you even spoke about the fact that when you are... You know, uh, your, your sexual health also goes hand in hand with your mental health. And sometimes even, um, you know, cases of rape or marital rape come out because the health aspect, um, sexual health aspect is not addressed. Can, can, can we go through that? How can one be assisted mentally so that their sexual health is also in line with our laws and also in line with moral values? I think it has to start. I think you've got to start with, and it's such a difficult one because start with your place in a relationship. As soon as kind of you know power imbalance in a relationship, it puts one person at a disadvantage. And depending on how badly that person wants to be in that relationship for whatever reason, they may sacrifice certain things, and it might be you know important things like bodily integrity. So bodily autonomy, so your ability to make decisions, the ability to keep your body safe from harm. So I think, you know, it starts there. Um, what boundaries of yours do you allow to be pushed in, in negative ways? So you allow other people to push boundaries that you've set. What boundaries are those and how does that impact you as a person? And then depending on that, so, you know, the, the repercussions in terms of how that makes you feel as a person and what you're dealing with as a result of that action or of not standing up for yourself, for what your rights are, for not being able to make a choice for you when it's your choice. Um, it starts there, and then that will build. Of course, we don't have that the power or the choice, or you feel you don't you don't have the choice to say no in the relationship, whether it's a marriage or, or a casual relationship or a long-term established relationship that's not a marriage, what happens is you open yourself up to other forms of violence or abuse. And that violence then, you know, it, it's interconnected. So it's psychological, it's emotional, mental, uh, could be financial, and then it could be physical. Most people think that abuse, or they look, when they think of abuse, they think of it as physical, not realizing that there are different forms, like even, for example, the silent treatment is a form of abuse. Mm. And so many people are going around, you know, saying, oh, okay, you know, and they glorify and romanticize silent treatment, and they laugh about it, or they joke about it, but it's a form of abuse. So when you, when you start from there, then you look at how that impacts you mentally and, of course, your mental health. So does that 
flow, does that lead to depression, anxiety? Um, do you end up having post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of um, having your partner violate your body or violate your partner's face? And how does that then impact your physical health? So it's all connected. So when one is uh, seeking sexual health um, and and, and uh, they they are in their adult lives. Where do they start? Do I start by talking to my partner first to say, I've got this sexual health challenge? Or do I talk to my friend first? Or do I go straight to uh, a doctor? Again, that would depend on the dynamics in the relationship. Not every relationship has that safety net. Unfortunately, not every relationship has that safe space where you can actually approach your partner free or fear of violence or whatever the negative repercussions might be. So if you're in the kind of relationship where your partner can, where you can, you know, your partner will entertain that kind of conversation at that level, then by all means, you know, you can say um, you have this concern and you're asking your partner for whatever. But this is something I think going to go back to last week's conversation when you ask the question, how do you know you're ready for sex? Um, for sex the first time ever or the first time in a particular relationship. And I brought up ideas of if if you're not able to talk about your sexual history of what's relevant to the the person, then you're not ready. If you're not able to speak about sexually transmitted diseases, basically, you know, those, those ideas. If you're not able to speak about protection, so, um, what sort of, what form of protection are you going to be using? Um, if you're not able to speak about what happens in the event of a pregnancy, then you're not ready to be having sexual intercourse. So for those... So you, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so you'll gauge from there whether the partner would be your go-to or your first line of, of approach in terms of who you would go to. Most people, if they're seeking acute medical attention, would go directly to um, a, a healthcare professional. So for those who will um, rather go to a traditional healer or go to their uncle who has been known to be, you know, the man of the village, instead of going to, um, you know, a a doctor or a healthcare uh, clinic, is that okay? Or should we be encouraging people to go straight uh, to a a healthcare facility if they are seeking sexual health? But, well, it then depends on what other forms of education has that person been exposed to. And it depends on what kind of health care service to, are they seeking. So if it's the kind that that person is able to give, then that should be okay. But each person then needs to take the responsibility to know what their bound, where their boundaries are, so what their limitations are in terms of their practice whatever that practice is. So if you're running a traditional practice, if you're a traditional healer, then hopefully you're running it ethically and you know what your limitations are. So if a person approaches you and if it's within your scope of practice, then you'll decide that, okay, I can help this person. Because usually, if Patricia, if you and I go to someone, we're going there because we have a certain level of trust that this person is able to give us this information. If that person says, um, oh, hey, you know, um, I'm not able to help you any further than this. I'd like to suggest you go to ABC, you know, a, a different person. Then 
trust, are we going to trust that also? Because you already took the step to go to this person and this person says this, look, I can help you this much and further than this, I suggest you go to someone else. Then chances are we're going to you know, say thank you. Okay, you've helped me this much. And I will definitely follow this up by going to the next level um, of care. So what we're hoping for is that every person has that, you know, uh, conducts themselves ethically and professionally within that understanding that a person comes to you and trusting their health and that health is not just physical but it's psychological it's complete you know it's, it's emotional and spiritual so we're hoping that people conduct themselves in ways that they respect the person who's approaching them for health for health care mm, most definitely let me go to a message here from our a teamer uh, this a teamer is Onksi, I hope I'm saying it right, who's in Benoni, who says, Hi, I just want to ask, is it healthy to have sex using the back hole? My girlfriend is afraid of getting some unknown diseases. Okay, so we're speaking about anal sex. And, you know, you'd, you'd be uh, particular for specific things like you would um, use protection at all times, you use lubrication. Hopefully, you before all of that, you know each other's um, sexual history. You know each other's HIV status. So these are the things that are most important at first, as well as you must have the person's consent. And you know, coercing someone or trying to convince someone that this is good, or that you know that they should do this for whatever reason, uh, we understand to to be coercion, and it's a part of intimate partner violence. So the person should also want to engage in whatever activity of their own free will. They must want to happily want to be part of that activity. So in terms of healthy or unhealthy, you'd want to take care because the rectum is not the same as a vagina. So you'd want to take those precautions. And if you want to be um, extra careful, then you should maybe have a chat with your healthcare professional um, in terms of other things around happening around that area. So do you have hemorrhoids? Do you have a history of hemorrhoids? Do you have a history of um, anal fissures or fistulas or any other problems in that particular area that you should be particularly wary of? Now, you know, Doc, you spoke about uh, the figures, such high figures of young girls in South Africa who are pregnant and also HIV positive. And it seems like when it comes to sexual health information or education, a lot of pressure has been put on the girl child and not so much pressure on the boy child. How can we change and tip the scale, especially if we are saying some of these girls might have been raped or molested uh, and, and it might be with the men or boys who are much older than them. How can we tip the scale to ensure that the education is equal but that young girls are also empowered? You know, Patricia, I was horrified when I was reading the comments on that particular article online because almost every person comments um, something negative about girls, you know. Um, so these girls don't know how to conduct themselves. Uh, the comments about they can't keep their legs together. Uh, where are their parents? And, you know, we live in an ideal world. And sometimes when I read and comments uh, like like these, I just wonder what 
position of privilege as you see people commenting from or speaking from. Because historically, most of these numbers that we're looking at, we're looking at African children. And historically, the amount of poverty, um, the injustices that occur in those communities, it's so difficult to look at it as if it's only children deliberately getting pregnant for the child support grant, because those are the majority of the comments, and that the burden lies on the girl in terms of how she protects herself from physical harm. And we know that that's not true. So part of changing the narrative, you know, as much as when we have daughters, we spend so much of time telling them how to behave, how to conduct themselves. So beginning there, giving equal amount of time to our sons, in terms of how to conduct themselves, you know, for their yeah. own personal selves as well as with with girls. Mm. So mm. how do you how do you handle yourself, you know, with, um, in that particular situation? So whether you're dating or not dating, the respect that you give a fellow human being, and I think it starts there, and it starts in your own home, with the way you treat your girl child and your boy child. Whom do you give priority to? Who has greater value in your home? And it starts there. You know, as we are talking sexual health, uh, A-teamers, please do weigh in. If you've got a question that is sexual health related and you'd like it answered, Dr. Miriam Khan is available. She is a registered natural medicine doctor. So please do call in or WhatsApp or SMS and ask your question around sexual health um, on 011-714-2006 or WhatsApp 0614104107. SMSs go to 41391. Dr. Khan, we are in a pandemic, right? And we can't undermine the intensity and, and just, you know, the magnitude of this pandemic, COVID-19. But compared to HIV and sexual health and the fact that a lot of young girls who have been impregnated are HIV positive right now, what can be done to give more information around HIV and not undermining the fact that we're in a pandemic of COVID, but no one these days is speaking HIV and we are seeing the highest numbers recorded. I think what we, I, I'm not sure exactly what happens in terms of this, in the schooling system, in terms of, you know, the, um, access to healthcare. So how much is being taught to young children with regard to if they have been raped, or if they have been in situations where their bodily space has been violated, um, even if there was no actual rape, so it could be forced oral sex um, or other sexual acts. Where, they, where there is exposure to bodily fluids, um, I think also to, for, for young girls to know their options so that they can go to the hospital or to a government clinic, that there is access to, for example, um, the morning after pill if, if there's a test for pregnancy or post-exposure prophylaxis. So if you get that um, within 48 hours of your sexual activity or exposure to fluids, it lowers your chances of HIV. So, you know, we're speaking several things here because what is in in terms of the possibilities or the likelihood of children having access to those facilities? So how far away are they from those facilities? 
uh, so transport-wise, um, then safety for them to get there. So it's, it's transport, it's money, getting there. If it's public transport, it's safety. Um, if whatever they like, say for example, they're being sexually active and their parents aren't away, aren't aware, how do they work around those dynamics? So if we're able to ideally have satellite clinics within a certain radius, um, you know, where young people can actually have access to that because we know that they have the ability to have access to contraception, but how many of them really do that? Go up to a healthcare professional at a government clinic or a government hospital and request or ask for that contraception or ask for advice without the fear of negative repercussions. Because, you know, if you're a kid and if you're in that space where you want to be sexually active or you're in that, you know, or if you've unfortunately experienced rape or any form of violence, the last thing you want is to be given a lecture or to be barked at or for someone to point fingers and to blame you. So a lot of the time, children suffer because they also don't want to be on the receiving end of that kind of criticism. And adults can be pretty harsh when it comes to dealing with children. Mm, totally agree with you, uh, Dr. Kande. Let me go to our A-teamer, Jay, who's on the line. Good evening, Jay. Good evening, uh, Patricia, and good evening to our good doctor. Uh, so essential for us to have this program on a regular basis much, much earlier on, so most of our youths can and parents can hear and know what is going on and how we can protect our youngsters. Uh, you know, Patricia, the, it is such a sad, the most beautiful stage in a young person's life is taken away. You are never going to become the child again or the teenager again. You're going to live an old age and adult for the rest of your life once you start having sex and become a childbearing person. One of the things that I noticed and realized that when Spiritual discipline is not instilled in children in early stages of their lives. That's when a lot of moral discipline flies out. The teachers in school haven't got that time and in the curriculum to teach all this. They got the other subjects to do. So it's left between the parents, the community workers, and the spiritual organization to take this responsibility to see that young children as young as possible, right from babyhood, right up to the later teenage life into adulthood, that they attend congregational service with their parents. But what I notice, it's so sad, especially on a Sunday, parents get dressed up to the tea. The children are left playing around on the street side, and just hanging around, youngsters walking about on a Sunday. And that is the most beautiful time. Uh, Everybody is relaxed, but the youngsters are just left around. There's no recreational facilities available for them. Everything has become null and void. So what do they, what other activities but to get involved in sexual activities? So there's no cinema, 
nothing, nothing for them to go to. So where, where does it all, everything has gone. So if we can engage and get organizations, stakeholders, uh, especially the politicians should come in now and show us what they can do for the community, our councillors and the rest of it. I just hope the next generation of uh, youths that are going to become into adults haven't lost the treasures of our world, our language, culture, and traditions. Thank and you very much, Jay. Of all the discipline. Thank you very much for the Thank lovely you. program. Thank you, Jay, for weighing in. Dr. Khan? So, well, thank you, Jay, so much for that. What I got from there, uh, one, one particular takeaway for me was that kids need to have some kind of purpose. So maybe they don't have a purpose yet, but teenagers. And, and that comes with a lot of, you know, that comes with from your family ties as well as community networks. You know, she's been talking about different organizations that can come together. But if we can help them find their purpose, get them involved in different activities, and make them feel valuable, that they are able to benefit others, but also that they are valued because so many children are experiencing trauma at different levels, different kinds of trauma from little ages. And, you know, sometimes parents are not very well equipped to identify the trauma. Sometimes parents are the ones who are inflicting the trauma on children, Mm. whether it's verbally or whatever form of trauma it is. So if we're able to start creating more awareness around that, a lot of the time, when children reach out, what they want to feel is they want to feel loved, they want to feel valued, they want to be acknowledged, their presence, their space. So if we're able to you know, address those, those um, factors, we might be able to um, make headway some, somehow. Let me go to a WhatsApp here from E, who is in PE. Says, good evening, Patricia and the doctor. I don't know if the question is relevant to the talk, but my daughter, who's five years old, was molested by her mother's brother while staying with the mother. My daughter is currently staying with me and my wife, um, court orders. But whenever I see her mother, I feel a lot of hate within me because of what happened to my daughter. And she knew all along about what her brother was doing to my daughter. My question is, will I ever be able to come over this pain and hate and advice on how I will tell my daughter one day when she's grown up? Um, when I see my beautiful daughter every day, I'm getting real and heartbroken. Oh, just reading this, just reading this. Um, Atima E, I'm so sorry about what you and your daughter went through. Dr. Khan, please come in. Terribly sorry to hear that. And I really hope that the, the caller, the, the person who sent out the message, um, is seeking um, psychological assistance and support for this. So I hope they seeing a counselor or a psychologist for this, as well as um, a, a therapist for their daughter. Um, you know, with time, he, he, I'm assuming it's he, will learn to... Um, forgive himself also, themselves also, because uh, sometimes we tend to blame ourselves for not being there or not being able to protect the child at that particular point. We feel that, you know, circumstances, we 
or different, it wouldn't have been like that, or it wouldn't have happened, or we look for ways that we could have avoided the situation. Um, so, yes, time and love does heal most wounds, and with the proper support from the correct healthcare professionals, I do see them being able to move forward from here. And I wish you all the best, you and your daughter. Yeah, but I mean, uh, Doc, let's go to a quick break. When we come back, I want us to use uh, E's WhatsApp to talk about how do you have the sexual health conversation with a girl or a boy who has been violated sexually? How do you tell a child that you were raped and now you are HIV positive? And at what age do we do that? You'll answer that straight after this break. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli. Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Closet Conversations. We're having a discussion with Dr. Miriam Khan around uh, what our primary source of sexual health information is. And before the break, we had a very disturbing, very touching uh, WhatsApp from E, who's in PE, uh, relating a story about his daughter who was molested uh, by the mother's brother, so the child's uncle. And I'm, I'm, I'm devastated. I'm in disbelief. These are the sort of things that happen in our society that make me sick to the bone make me sick to the bone that a five-year-old child could be could have their future destroyed in the, in such a way and obviously um dr khan is going to help us before the break doctor i asked a question how do we then have a discussion i mean especially as a, a parent like e who is still dealing with the hurt the anger the pain how does e then start having this conversation with his child so hopefully there has been, um, you know, some conversation prior to uh, the situation, and you know, if not, then you, you know, it depends on his relationship or any parent's relationship with their child, and what the child understands about their body, and which parts of their body is private, you know, which parts um, other people should not have access to when. And what age is it suitable, or at what level in their, what stage in their lives is it suitable for, for other people to have access to those parts of their bodies? So depending on all of those factors, um, that is how you would approach it. The best way to do so would also be under the guidance of a, tra- a trauma therapist or a trauma counselor, because they would be most suitable and suited to help, because they have the skills to assist in terms of how to break down that trauma for both the parent and the child and how to assist in, you know, the child understanding in terms, in terminology that they can understand without overwhelming them with too much of information and without making it, you know, seem that uh, um, something that they, that they're not going to be able to handle. So for just to be able to break it down for them in terms that they can understand and for them to know that it's not their fault and that you're always there for them and that you love them irrespective. And I think what's very, very important is that both parent and child seek or the parent seeks a therapy for both parent and child. Specifically a trauma therapist or trauma counsellor 
Mm. And obviously, this is not going to be a once-off. Um, no, absolutely it's not. It's going to be a lifelong uh, journey, uh, because as the child matures, uh, they they go through different phases, and you need to be open absolutely. about uh, the trauma that they experienced. Good luck, E, and for any other South African that has experienced this, uh, good luck, and my heart goes out to you. Dr. Khan, here's another message from Klaba, who is in Eastern Cape. Klaba says, good evening, uh, Patricia and uh, the doctor. In my view, young parents need to attend some lessons or perhaps self-educate yourselves on how to engage your child on sexual health. Amongst ourselves as adults, we talk sex and intercourse, which is not what you as a parent would be talking about to your child. Maybe that's why we are scared. Self-education on sexual health and education is imperative. I agree with Kaba. I agree that as adults, it's so easy for us to open up about sexual health and sex. But to open up to the young ones, it becomes so difficult. I think, Patricia, even as adults, there are many adults who find it very difficult to speak up about sexual health concerns. You know, I find on a daily basis, I meet people who I surprise myself because I've, you know, to remind myself that not everyone is so um, free to speak about sexual health concerns without all of that, you know, the years of messages of guilt and shame around it. So even as adults, I think adults struggle. And if you struggle as an adult, you're going to struggle with your kid as a parent because, of course, you need to be confident, you know, with the topic. You need to be comfortable with the topic um, to be able to also share some of that knowledge at the level the child can understand without making them feel like you're awkward, without them making, sorry, without them realizing that you're awkward, you're awkward about it, because they don't feel awkward about it. So if, you, if you're able to make it like any other conversation that you have, any regular conversation, that would be a goal. You know, that's, that's something you want, you'd want to work toward. So in my home, for example, we, out of nowhere, we just talk about sex, and it's pretty normal. It's not like, you know, we have a set time that we only talk about sex, or, you know, we have hushed tones when we talk about sex or sex, sexual-related matters. It just pops up in the middle of any conversation, and it's just like what we're having for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Mm. And that's how we want it to be. Make it a natural mm-hmm. conversation. Dr. Khan, um, let's wrap up our conversation what are the important takeaways from today's uh, discussion? You know, we're looking at, because and, and the intention when we started off the program, it just moved completely different from there, and it moved away from the intention. But if you look at the fact that in spite of all the education, all the messages that are going out there to children, children still don't know their avenues for or for sexual health care, so they don't know their recourse, what recourse is available to them. They're not sure, or um, you know, or the message is not going clear enough. Whatever we need to find the barriers for that health care. We need to find the barriers for that education because clearly there's a missing step somewhere there, or a few missing steps. Children are definitely not getting the correct information, all the information, they don't have access to health care or they don't have safe access to health care. 
um, access to health care that doesn't come with neg- negative repercussions for themselves within their personal spaces, like their families, or even at health at, uh, at their healthcare facilities. The last thing we need is, and we've seen cases like this, where a child goes in for sexual health care at a healthcare facility and then gets violated by a healthcare professional, mm. gets raped or gets, you know, assaulted, sexually assaulted. So we need to put in safety nets. Most Along that process, we need to have safety nets there. There needs to be some kind of gatekeeper system to make sure that children are more safe. Mm Dr. Khan, thank you so very much for joining us. It's been uh, a topic that's eye-opening, but it also brought in a very heavy emotions. But we really appreciate your time and your insight. Please give us your contact details for our A-teamers. 079-380-8449. And on social media, it's Dr. Mariam B. Khan. Excellent. Have a good evening. You too, Patricia. Take care. A-teamers, it's time for us to head on home. We'll be back for the Thursday edition at 10 p.m., so make sure you are tuned in. May goodness and grace lead you all to the great heights of success.